Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 72, 1 through 7, and 10 through 14. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to a king's son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. May the mountains yield prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the needy, and crush the oppressor. May he live while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may righteousness flourish and peace abound until the moon is no more. May the kings of Tarshish and of the isles render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations give him service. For he delivers the needy when they call, the poor and those who have no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our gospel reading comes from Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and we have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God, as you led the Magi by the light of the star, would you this morning lead us by the light of your spirit to gaze upon Jesus, to discover in him the light of the world that floods our darkness, to be renewed in your presence and to be recharged by your spirit and sent out from this place as followers of Jesus, worshipers of Jesus, who walk in your light and who bow down and pay homage with our lives. We need your help to do that and we pray that you would bless this time together now toward that end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Today the Magi gaze in deep wonder at what they see. Heaven on earth, earth in heaven, man in God, God in man, one whom the whole universe cannot contain, now enclosed in a tiny body. These words from a sermon given in the fifth century by the Bishop of Ravenna, Peter Chrysologos, capture beautifully the mystery we contemplate and savor today as we observe the Feast of Epiphany. Wise men, sages from the East, follow the light of the star to find King Jesus. And when they find him, they discover in him the very light of God, the light of the world, which is not just for the people of Israel, but it's for them too. He is for them too. Epiphany commemorates this revelation of God to the nations, not just to Israel, but to all the nations. God makes himself known to the world as a God who is for everyone, not merely some nationalistic or tribalistic deity, not a God who belongs to just one religious, ethnic, or political group, but the God whose light and love and lordship are for all the peoples of the earth. This God made known to us in Jesus. This is profoundly good news. This is world-changing revelation. And this great celebration of Epiphany, it completes and concludes the Christmas season. But Epiphany is also challenging for us. It challenges our expectations of where and how God will show up. And by extension, it challenges our attentiveness to God's presence and activity in our lives and in the world. Will we notice God when God appears? Will we be paying attention? Epiphany also challenges how we respond to God when God does actually get our attention. Will we be drawn in like the Magi? Or will we resist like Herod, responding out of our own drivenness instead? I want us to reflect on the challenges of Epiphany this morning as we think about how God might be meeting us, how God's light might be shining here, and maybe how God might be getting our attention this morning as we think about what it looks like for us to embark on this new year, walking in the light of Christ. So first, let's think about how Epiphany challenges our expectations. Where do you expect God to show up? Do you, do we, expect God to show up? What would it look like for God to be active in our lives? What would it look like for God to be active in the world? We can answer these in all sorts of different ways, and inevitably the way we answer those questions will shape our life with God. It will shape our faith. It will shape our doubts and our struggles. What sorts of things will be sticking points for us? It'll shape our frustration and our hope. It'll shape our joy. It will shape our prayers and our engagement with the community of faith. We know how significant expectations are, right, in our experience of the world. Have you ever waited for half an hour for a table at a restaurant? 
Have you ever waited for half an hour when you're told it was going to be five to 10 minutes? And have you ever waited for half an hour when you told it would probably be an hour? It's a completely different experience, entirely shaped by what you expected would happen. And what I love about Epiphany Sunday, which we're celebrating today, is that this is a day that challenges our expectations of God and invites us into the joy of seeing God's glory in unexpected places. Our expectations shape our experience, and that, of course, was no less true for the ancients than it is for us today. The ancient Israelites had their expectations uh, of what it would be like when God would be active in their lives and in the world, and those expectations were largely centered around God's place and God's king. Already in our service, we've responsively read from Isaiah chapter 60. We just heard reading from Psalm 72, and they both paint this picture of what it will look like in the future, speaking from that moment, looking forward, when God will show up and make his light to shine forth. It's kind of a grand scene, right? Arise, shine for your light has dawned or the throngs of people streaming into Jerusalem responding to this dawn of light and you get to the moment when sages from the east come following a star and find Jesus and you see this fulfillment of that promise and it's a little weird because you're like huh I was expecting like all of humanity flooding into Jerusalem based on, you know, the poetic images we were given. We don't know how many sages, magi there were, but probably not the throngs of humanity depicted, right? So already it's sort of like when the fulfillment comes, it's not necessarily matching what anyone would have been expecting. God's place was the land of Israel, and specifically the temple at its center that stood there in the city of Jerusalem. God's king was the anointed Messiah who would reign under God and over the kingdom. It's a position that had been vacant for quite a while by the time Jesus arrives on the scene, and not only vacant, but occupied by pretender kings like Herod, who was more of a puppet to the Romans than a real ruler for Israel. But the idea was that God's people, living in God's place and led by God's king, would be God's fountain of blessing for the whole world. That the wisdom and flourishing life that God would bestow upon this nation would be a gift for all the nations who would come from afar to experience life in the presence of God. So the expectation was there, that God would someday provide his promised king that God would someday restore the kingdom. The kingdom would bring God's peace to bear upon the earth. But when God finally did provide the promised king, he did make good on his promise. He did it in a way that defied the expectations, which is why most people missed it. And I think today it's the same reason that most of us miss God when God shows up in our world as well. Because our expectations shape our experience. And when we have strong expectations and our experience doesn't fit them, what happens? We get disappointed. We're supposed to be seated in five minutes. It's taking half an hour. It's disappointing, right? Works the same way with God. When we have strong expectations about what it would look like for God to bless us, 
what it would look like for God to be faithful to us, what it would look like for God to be at work in our lives or in our neighborhoods or in our workplaces or in our families or relationships. We have strong expectations of what that must be when the reality doesn't match the expectation, the gap between reality and expectation, we might call that frustration or disappointment, right? It might be the very reason that we miss what's actually happening. When we experience suffering, loss or heartbreak, the hurt that we all experience as we live in a world where things are not as they ought to be. And God doesn't meet us in the ways that we feel like he should. We miss the ways God meets us in reality. But on the other hand, <clears throat> on one hand, our strong expectations can be one reason that we miss God, but having no expectations could be another, right? When we live oblivious, I, I like watching uh, the clips of Jimmy Fallon where he goes down the subway with like U2 and they're all wearing disguises and they start playing on the platform and, you know, it looks like buskers and people walk by until they finally, it catches on like, wait a minute, who's playing on the platform? And they stop. The, probably the most famous one, we've told this story several times, but Joshua Bell, the world-renowned violinist, there was a story in the Washington Post like 10 years ago or so that... Joshua Bell, who plays like sold out venues at, you know, Carnegie Hall and stuff, just like world-class venues, has a multi-million dollar Stradivarius violin and people pay hundreds of dollars to go have one seat in a prestigious venue to get within a hundred yards of this guy. And he went down to the DC Metro and played and played and played and played and played and played and almost no one stopped. People who would pay 400 bucks to sit 35 rows away from him, walked right by him when he was playing for free and didn't notice. Why? Because they didn't expect to find that kind of beauty on the subway platform. They weren't attuned to what was actually happening right around them. They didn't find him because they weren't looking for him. And similarly, when we don't expect to find God showing up in our lives and in the world, the same thing happens. We miss him, right? Not because God is absent, but because we are. It's like that scene from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows where Snape is whining about Harry, about how he's such a bummer. And Dumbledore's like, you see what you want to see. Other people like him. I think he's great. You see what you want to see. Our expectations of what it would be like for God to show up or our complete lack of expectations that he will show up, they shape our experience of God often to the point where we just don't notice. But Epiphany challenges us to notice, like the wise men do, the presence of God in unexpected places, the presence of God in the ordinary stuff of life. When you think about your own expectations of God, what they are, where they come from, what are those? How is it that your imagination has been formed about what God will do? Are you beginning with like your own imagination? Are you beginning with what you've been taught and seeking a God who fits it? Or are you beginning with God's actual appearing in our world in Jesus and then letting the story of Christ shape your imagination an expectation. Because the way God shows up in Jesus is surprising. And if we're starting with Jesus, we should expect God to surprise us. 
And that is the challenge and that is the invitation of Epiphany to recognize and embrace a God who defies our expectations, the real God who shows up in our real lives and in the real world. And so God shows up in the person of Jesus. That is the point of the gospel story. And when he does it, he does it in a way no one would have expected. It's a shockingly humble way. The newborn king isn't in a palace. He isn't in the capital city. He's the humble child of ordinary parents living in an unimpressive place. From the manger all the way to the cross, the story of Christ is one of remarkable humility that reveals to us a God of love who's willing to meet us where we are in the grit and in the grime of our real lives, to put himself beneath us so that the burden of our lives and all that is wrong with the world ultimately falls upon him and not us. He shows up in the ordinary spaces of life to ignite a movement of love, to give himself in sacrificial love, even to the point of death, to rise from the dead in power and in glory and then to come again to finish what he started. And that whole thing, that whole story about how God actually showed up is shocking. Nobody saw that coming, which is why most missed it. It's surprising and it's fascinating how God leads these magi to Jesus. Notice how he does it. He uses two things, at least. A star and the scriptures. So these wise men, these magi, they're astrologers, right? I mean, we can, there's all kinds of speculation about exactly where were they coming from and what were they doing? Were they coming from one place or many places? You know, how many of them were there? We, <coughs> we can speculate all day, but ultimately we don't really know. What we do know is that these are stargazers. They read the stars in search of wisdom, which if you're familiar with sort of how the scriptures, the Bible usually treats stargazing as a discipline, it's not favorable. That's not like an authorized mechanism for going and looking for truth. You know, it can be fun or whatever, I guess, to do horoscopes and whatever, but, but astrology is not like a biblically commended strategy for pursuing wisdom on which you might build a life, right? Yet, God meets them in their stargazing because that's where they are. And God is kind. It's awesome. It's actually a really delightful story. Now, the stars aren't sufficient in themselves, but it's the wise men following the star that leads them to Jerusalem, which is where they hear God's teaching in the scriptures about where the Messiah would be born. And with the guidance of both star and scripture, the Magi find the Christ child and pay homage. It's beautiful. It's fascinating. And even more fascinating when you think about what God uses in our own lives to draw us into the spaces where we discover him. What brought you here? Or when you think about the first time you found yourself among a community of Christians, especially if you were someone who was maybe a little bit more um, advanced in years that when that first happened. Like my kids won't remember the first time they ever went into a church. They can't even remember that part of their life, right? I do. And it's bizarre. What got me there? What draws you to God? Now, if you're a person of faith, you have your own stories of encountering God and experiencing God's presence. Just 
take a moment. You can use that same daily examine discipline to go back over your life. God, give me light to look back on my life and notice all of the ways you met me where I was and drew me further in. What were the things? Where were the places? Who were the people who were instrumental in drawing you further in? You know, for me, that list of things, like what were the stars that I followed to meet Jesus? They include things like ultimate Frisbee, 9-11, dining halls, board games. These are not like authorized places where you go for life guidance. It's just where I was. And God met me there because he's kind. And as God met me, I found myself in the company of friends where I began to wrestle with big questions in the company of people who knew Jesus. God used all of those things to draw me into spaces where I would encounter him, encounter him in the presence of God's people and begin to open the scriptures and begin to participate in the worshiping life of the community of faith. Now, if you're not someone who professes faith, but you're here, what brought you here? It's wonderful. We're so glad that you're here. Why are you here? What are you looking for? What star did you follow? What brought you through the doors? What are the desires? What are the relationships or the questions? What sense of there being something more is there that you want to explore? These things that have prompted you to come and participate in a community of faith. God is so kind to just meet us on our own turf. He's so kind to meet us where we are and invite us further in. He doesn't necessarily answer all our questions. He doesn't satisfy our, all of our desires. He doesn't put an end to all our doubts necessarily. But he invites us to join him where he actually is rather than to stay stuck in hoping he'll show up where we expect him to be. And when we do encounter him, then the question is, what do we do, right? How will we respond to God when he does in fact catch our attention. What do we do with Jesus? And in the story, we see two very different responses. We see Herod's resistance and we see the Magi's embrace. Herod is frightened, Matthew tells us. And in his fear, he resists Jesus as king in order to protect what he wants for himself. And of course, we know that the rest of that story uh, turns really tragic. It turns murderous very quickly. On the other hand, the, the magi, these sages, they respond in a very different way. They're open to God's leading. And even though they don't fully understand it, they're here for it. They're along for the ride. And when they find Jesus, they embrace him. They bend the knee. They pay homage in costly devotion. And so you have these two contrasting responses. We have this self-centered, self-protective fear of like, I wanna stay in control. And then you have this other response of other-centered, self-giving love, worship. They're two opposite orientations to Jesus and ultimately to the world. 
And the challenge of epiphany for us is will we, will we receive the God who shows himself to us in Jesus even when he does it in ways that we're not expecting? Will we embrace the God who embraces us? The God who says, I'm a God for everyone, not just for your tribe, not just for your in-group, not just for the people that you like to be around or the people who agree with you, but I am the Lord for all the nations of the earth, including you. Embracing that God, it will absolutely change us, but maybe not necessarily in the ways that we imagine. Because to embrace the God who reveals himself to us in Jesus is to embrace this God who's not only for you, but for your neighbor, right? He's not only a God for you and the people you like, but he's also a God for the people you don't like who he calls you to love. Not just for the people that you understand or feel a quick connection or affinity with, but people who are different from you and from me. People who are difficult to love, like you, and like me. If we embrace the God who embraces us in Christ, I think we will change over time. We'll become more and more a person who embraces the people that God embraces. We'll become more and more participants with God and what he's doing in the world. We'll become agents of God's love and peace and wholeness and truth and goodness and will become a place where people begin to experience the presence and welcome of God more and more and more. So this morning, <coughs> excuse me, this morning I started my day by using this little app called Pray As You Go. Maybe some of you are familiar with it, but just um, with my morning coffee, a little reflection. It's a wonderful little app, but you can listen to it. And it's, a, it's sort of a daily prayer and scripture reading. Uh, and this morning's reflection was on this text from Matthew. It was an epiphany reflection. And it began by saying, hey, just close your eyes and imagine two different rooms. On one hand, there's the palace where the sages are there. They come and there's the tyrant Feel the textures, notice the colors, imagine the room. What's the vibe? What's the tension in the room? Be there. Be there when the tyrant gets his way. Now imagine another room. It's an ordinary home, temporary dwellings. There's a new mom with her firstborn child. She's sitting there. There's a dad, a few years older than the mom, probably helping out. And these sages arrive in this ordinary space and they bring gifts and they bow down and worship. Probably some animals around. Notice the vibe, take in the colors, be there. What do you do? What will, what will you do in that room in the company of those who are bowing down and offering their gifts? And the reflection was just simply this. Your commitment to him might just be the gift that you bring. And as we think about embarking on this year of 2024 and thinking about what will be different as we move forward, what, how will we walk in the light of Christ this year? What will change? And I would just invite us all, myself included, to take this epiphany moment as an opportunity to ask that question of, what gift will you bring 
Will you bend the knee to this king? And will you, like the wise men, be overcome with joy at the discovery of Jesus and recognize that in him is the light that you've been looking for? What would that commitment be? What would those next steps be? And will you take them with the joy that we see in these wise men who model for us a response of following God in the next step, even when we don't know where it's going? I think that's a profoundly hopeful and a profoundly inspiring vision for each and every one of us as we begin this new year, fixing our gaze and our love upon King Jesus. May God give us grace that it would be so. Would you pray with me? Our God, we recognize that our lives and our world are often shrouded in darkness. We recognize that the world we live in is not what it ought to be. It can be really scary, it can be chaotic, it can be thrilling, it can be dangerous, all the things. And yet we recognize also that in Jesus, you have entered the darkness with irreversible light. The darkness cannot overcome it. And while the darkness may be big and vast, we know the light is winning. And so we ask you to give us eyes of faith that we would live into our day and into our week and into our year walking in the light of Christ that we might see through eyes of faith what you want us to see, noticing how you're already there in the spaces where we live, in the spaces between us and our neighbor. You're already at work in our relationships. You're already at work in our workplaces, drawing us in to join you in the great work of making all things new, brick by brick and piece by piece. You're already at work bringing peace and wholeness in the earth. And you draw us in. So would you give us the grace of your spirit that we might take next steps, not by our own drivenness, but because you draw us in. Not driven by our own expectations or demand for control, but following you and walking in your light. And would you give us the courage to take the next steps, even the ones we don't want to take, as you are remaking us and remaking all things in goodness and glory and love and joy. We need your help to do all of that. And so we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.